Today I'm concluding a service, um, a series we've been in looking at friendships in the Bible. Some of the great friends, we just called it great friendships of the Bible. We started with Adam and Eve, and there I, there I, I put in front of you the possibility that in all the other ways, if you're married, all the other ways we view marriage, what a wonderful thing just at, at the baseline to view it as a friendship. And we, we looked at some other great friendships throughout Scripture. We've been learning about friendship. But today I'd like to talk to you about the greatest friendship you can have. And I'd like to put in front of you the picture of your Christian life being at its core, a friendship with Jesus. The possibility of not only knowing him as our Savior and Lord and following him in the fear of God, but, but to see him also as a friend. You, a friend of Jesus. Jesus, beyond any other friendship in the world, being your friend, your friend. And Jesus opens that possibility up to us. When he's with his disciples, the same night he took the bread and, and took the cup, the night before he's going to be crucified. And he says in John chapter 15 and verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then he'll talk about laying your life down for your friend, which he would do for them the next day. And then the next verse, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. So this is my command that you love each other. And here's what happens. When you love each other, you become my, not just my servants, my friends. Then he goes on in the next verse, verse 15, to clarify. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know what his, what doesn't know his master's business. You know, a servant just does what they're told. They don't need to know the why behind the what. They just do what they're told. But Jesus said, instead, I don't call you servants. I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, a pastor acquaintance of mine from... Uh, a great church in Vancouver, British Columbia, Ken Shigematsu. Uh, Ken writes, this decline in real friendships and the resulting loneliness we experience are not without cost. Medical researchers and social scientists have pointed out that a strong link exists between friendship and well-being. People with close friends tend to have better health, are more fulfilled, and live longer. That's why one church I know of, their mottos for small groups is, join a group or die. <laughs> it's just good and healthy in every way to have friends. And when I was a Chi Alpha University ministry pastor uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s, Alan Lloyd McGinnis uh, turned out, uh, published a book that's turned out to be a classic. It sold over a million copies. It's called The Friendship Factor. I, I remember reading that book uh, soon a after it was released and the impact it had on my life. It's a wonderful book, The Friendship Factor. And, and there he talks about five ways to deepen your relationships, five ways to deepen your friendships. Let me just walk through them very quickly. First of all, assign top priority to your relationships. 
We can't be casual. And we could throw in a few cliches like to have a friend, you need to be a friend, and all of that. But it basically, friends need to become important in your life. I mean, important enough to say other things are less important, so I'm going to say no to them because I need to say yes to deepening my friendships with other people. And then secondly, you deepen friendships with others by daring to talk about your affections. This doesn't come easy for some of us, but you dare to talk. You, you put in words to other people why their friendship's valuable to you. And I've found that's been very endearing. When people, when, when you know, I think they like me, um, and when I ask them, you know, to go running together or, or to go fishing or to whatever, I don't fish, but whatever we do together, uh, you know, are they just saying yes to be polite or do they really value me as a friend in their lives or not? And, and it's wonderful when they verbalize back, your friendship is valuable to me. Sometimes we just need to have that verbalized. Um, as well as saying, you know, I really care about you and here's why. Here's how... Here's how my relationship with you nourishes me. So you actually don't just think that stuff, but you verbalize your affection. Thirdly, you cultivate transparency. And uh, people can sometimes become very one-dimensional to us if, if they're never transparent. It's like you never see into them. You talk to them, you stand beside them, you have coffee with them, but you never see inside them. But you will find if you become vulnerable with other people, not inappropriately, not beyond the level of, of, of your commitment, but, and you don't just spill your guts to everybody all the time, but, but it does, on the other hand, if you take the risk of being vulnerable and transparent with other people, you're going to find they are going to become more than one-dimensional to you. They're going to become transparent back to you. They're going to become vulnerable, and that's part of what intimacy requires, not just time and communication, but vulnerability. And then Fourthly, create space in your relationships. Uh, we're kind of wired that when we feel trapped and controlled, we want to escape. And if, if you're very controlling in your friendships, if you've kind of imprisoned people to what you want them to be, and you're not happy until they meet your expectations, or if you're just constantly manipulating people to get what you want out of them, you're going to find people just flat out, hey, this is a no-brainer. They're just not going to be want to be around you. Uh, you, for good friendships, you always respect the space of free will that other people have, and you don't violate that space. You respect it. And with freedom, uh, people will want to be drawn. When you give people freedom, they want to be drawn. When you trap people, they want to run. And so creating space in your relationships is a way of saying, you know, we don't control people, we don't manipulate people, uh, but we give space. And then the last one is to learn the gestures of love. To learn the gestures of love. So we have all kinds of things like, right, what's that book about the five love languages, you know? Every one of us has a love language. Like, we feel loved when people do certain things. For some of us, it's verbal affirmation. For some of us, it's kind, you know, kind and thoughtful things that people do for us. And in every relation, we have to realize that someone else's love language may not be our. What makes us feel valued may not be what makes them feel valued. And so in good friendships, we want to find out what makes them feel valued and learn that language. So friendship with Jesus. I began asking myself is, could you superimpose that grid that makes for good human friendships on our life with Jesus? And it turns out, I mean, every one of those five points could be an applicable message here. But I'm just going to pick the first, third, and fifth of those five things. 
And you just talk about seeking a deeper friendship with Jesus. If, if, if those things help us deepen our friendships with each other, could it also be true with Jesus? And amazingly enough, it, it, it's so true in terms of how God seeks friendship with us and we seek friendship with him. So in seeking a deeper friendship with Jesus, let's start with that first one. And that's assigning top priority to that friendship. I mean, it needs to become more important than other friendships. Pete Cesaro, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Disciple, um, he says, an emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus and goes beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus and offers their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. I mean, with Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. He's pretty much covering every base there. And you notice the first one, which really frustrates me. Because I've got something on my phone called a calendar app. And if I don't get to my calendar before anybody else, I have all kinds of people in my life that love me and have a wonderful plan for my life and keep beating me to my calendar with their agendas. I mean, all of us are fighting the calendar. It's the big fight of my life. I did, a week ago, I think I entered something in my calendar a year and a half from now just because I need to make that priority before other people's agendas push that priority out. And so I read what Cesaro says the, healthy emotion, the emotionally healthy disciple is like, first of all, we slow down to be with him. We slow down to be with Jesus. There's a book out there, I think it's entitled um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I have yet to work up the courage to buy that book. <laughs> Because I know how discouraged I will be by the end. Like the ruthless elimination of hurry. But a year ago, I did read a book called The Unhurried Leader. And I don't like the title, although the book has turned out to be great. Because I don't know leader that's not busy. And I, I don't think I know a human being that's not fairly busy in general. And it's this constant fight with our calendar. I do think COVID helped us a little bit. Even our church, annual church, our weekly church schedule is a little simpler than pre-COVID. I think it slowed us down. It, it causes us to have more time just to focus on what's most important. What are those relationships that are most important in our lives? And, and this slowing down to be with Jesus, um, it, it, it does affect our calendars. We just do need time just to be with him. We need to be in worship. Just Even today, we did a much less energetic, slower, more reflective service. Just, we just need to slow down sometimes and just be with him. And, and find a reference point that nothing else in our life is going to be going to happen. Just, just to love him. And I think the verse that pulls it all together is the verse that I often conclude our services with as a benediction or as a blessing. It's 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is what... Because of the cross, the grace, that the grace, not the judgment of the Lord Jesus, but the grace, the favor, the, the, the opportunity to be, be forgiven and be a part of his family. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God that underlies that. Jesus, God loved the world so much he sent his son for us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And 
And this being with Jesus finds its follow-through in that, that amazing word fellowship. In the Greek, it's called it's the Greek word koinonia. When I was leading a university church years ago, our, our small groups were called K-groups or koinonia groups. I mean, in a, in a very... In a very anecdotal way, I think of koinonia because it's such a richly textured relational word. I think of koinonia, as some of you have heard me describe it before, as that glow in your heart after, a great, after an evening with great friends. Just that glow in your heart, having connected in great fellowship. That, that, that's koinonia. And he's saying, Jesus' grace has come to you through his cross. It's because God loved you by the, on the foundation of the love of God. And so you, as the follow-through to that, can experience the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, our lives with Jesus after a while, sometimes our Christian lives become pretty driven. We don't, even if you can't slow down when it comes to your calendar, you're not slowing down and you're not finding rest inside. You just feel driven. Your Christian life is just like checking off boxes and always feeling mildly guilty because you don't quite measure up anyway. And, and it's this sense of always feeling a pressure to perform for God. I mean, beyond just being obedient to him. It's just this pressure to perform. And, and you just feel driven. And, and it's like internally you haven't just slowed down with Jesus. Even if you can't slow down externally, it's a wonderful thing to walk moment by moment in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe you ought to spend half hour, hour with the Lord every day in his word and praying. But sometimes I say to people, you know, if that's frustrating you, why don't you start by spending 24 hours a day with the Lord? Just walk in the fellowship. He's with you. He's your best friend. He's right there with you. I was talking to a bunch of entrepreneurs once, and, 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 uh, and I said, I challenge you to make Jesus like the senior partner in your business. And the next day, after the next day was over, one of them emailed me back, who was a personal friend, and he said, I did what you said, Jim. I, I woke up this morning, I got in my car, went off to, to my business, and, and he said, I, I just made Jesus a senior partner, and, and just let him walk with me all day today, and, and just put the pressure on him. And, and I, just, I just stopped struggling so much inside to make everything happen. I just walked with him and made him my senior partner. And, and he wrote me because he said, it was amazing the difference that that made today. It was amazing. Th this, is, this is where friendship with Jesus begins. We decide to assign top priority to that friendship by making him a constant part of our walk with God. I don't know people who have served Jesus for many, many years and they're still just driven and stressed and mildly guilty all the time. And they're completely walking outside the privileges of the cross and what it means to be a friend of Jesus. I've seen this completely revolutionize people's spirituality. That finally, finally, I'm just not running the rat race to keep God happy with me. But I'm walking with him. He's my closest friend. I talk to him walking down the halls. When I'm feeling stressed, I just, I, yeah, it's good to breathe in, take deep breaths, do all that kind of therapeutic stuff. But it's even better 
to say, Lord Jesus, I'm just slowing down inside. And I'm remembering that you're my best friend. And that we can experience, the, by your spirit, I can experience koinonia with you. And then, and then after we signed top priority, the third thing that Alan McGinnis had in that list was to cultivate transparency. And, and this is part of the freedom of walking with Jesus as a friend. Jesus said, in fact, in verse 15, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my Father I've made known to you. I've called you friends. Because why? Because I've disclosed something to you. You know, a little physics of light. If something's opaque, it means light waves can't penetrate it. So you can't. So if you're on the other side of that opaque surface, you can't see what's on the opposite side because light can't transfer. Or we say some things are translucent, which means certain light waves can pass through. But you can't see really clearly. Maybe you just see the the red wavelengths that are transmitted or the blue wavelengths, but it's it's translucent. uh, Some light comes through, but you can't see clearly. Then some things are transparent, like this podium, where light, I can see what's underneath here because light can, is transmitted through here. Jesus said, Jesus said, you and I, we're going to walk in the light. I, I don't just, it's not, your Christian life isn't just do it, I tell you, and don't say anything. He said, that, that would make you a slave, but you're a friend. Yes, you ought to obey me, but you're a friend. And so there is something transparently from me to you. I've taken in the cross. I've taken away the barrier. There's nothing opaque. There's nothing even translucent there. Although we don't see, he doesn't share everything with us. But I just believe that he's in the business of disclosing things to us and sharing things. And we walk with him. He's given some of you some unique insight into what's happening in your family. Some of it you can't even share with certain of your children yet because God's still working with them. But he's given, he's, he's shown you his bigger, bigger purposes. I love this. When we started 2022, as some of you know, I felt like, the, even though we're all excited about 2022 because COVID was ending, and, and I just had this sober sense in my spirit that God's, and, and I felt like Jesus said to me, this is not going to be an easy year. And so you need to stay really close to my heart. And so here come January and Omicron hit and, and our church attendance tanked again live, and, and, and we're all in the midst of it again. And then Russia invades Ukraine. Now we're paying high prices, and the financial markets have tanked. And, and this has just not been an easy year. We're on the verge of World War III in anywhere of three places in our world right now that could trigger by the time we're done this service. I mean, this has not been an easy year. God's shaking everything that can be shaken. And it's not that he makes profits out of us, but listen... He wants to disclose things to us as we live close to his heart. We don't live rushed. We live unhurried inside and close to our friend. And Jesus, when we walk as a friend with him, he discloses things to us and helps us to see his heart. And of course, that friendship's two-way. We have to be transparent with him as well. We have to be vulnerable with him as well. And so John, in 1 John 1, verse 8, says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, this is transparency. When I'm with certain people, I probably won't disclose too much about myself if I don't feel safe around them. 
But when I feel safe, and the cross makes us safe, we can tell the truth about what's really going on. And this is with our friend Jesus. If we confess our sins, oh, he's there with a club to hit us and said, don't you dare be honest with me again. But listen, God can never work with who you pretend to be. He's already read your mail anyway. It's useless to fake it with him. But because of the cross, it's totally safe to be honest with him about everything we don't deserve. And if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's safe with Jesus, this friend. Safe to be honest with him. Safe to confess your sin and find instead of a club, you find his forgiveness because Jesus took the club at the cross for us. He's a safe person. So we make friendship a top priority as we walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit closer than to, with him than to anybody else. And, and we learn the gesture, and, and we, we cultivate transparency. We learn this two-way, he's close, he's my dearest friend. We talk and we disclose everything with each other. And then we learn the gestures of love. This is how you deepen human friendships, and I find it works with God too. We learn the gestures of love. Do you realize God has a love language? Jesus told us what it is right here. Obviously, worship and praise is part of probably how we can express our love to Jesus, but there where we began in John 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. In other words, Jesus said, if you love each other, um, that's my language. If you love each other, guess what? I feel the love. You're talking my love language. Love each other. And if you do, you'll be my friends. I know probably some of you have been wondering why we would start the fall. And usually I do series through books of the Bible. Well, why we talk the fall about the fall, this fall, just talking about friendships. But you can't divorce your spirituality from your friendships. They're hardwired together. And Jesus says, the more you're connected to each other, the more you love each other. Grateful for the over 50 small groups in the life of our church and a bunch of other groups where we don't even know about them because people have been connected for so long. I love the way you're developing those attentive eyes for one another here in our church family. I love the way this is happening. Jesus said, as I watch you love each other, I feel the love. You're talking my language. If you keep my commandment to love each other, then you're my friends. And it works the other direction again as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He talked our love language too. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he beat us to it. That he, first of all, loved us in ways we can understand. He talked our love language. 
and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so Paul says when you take the bread and the cup, you're participating in the body and blood of Christ. Do you realize that word he uses, participate, is that word koinonia. That Paul also says you can enjoy the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. You can partake in what you need in your life. There was a pastor in the East Coast, not an Assemblies of God pastor, but his name was Kevin Martin. And he pastored a very large church. And eventually all the demands of pastoring a large church, all the administrative machines, all the expectations, all the criticisms, just everything you get when you pastor a large church got the best of him. And uh, we would say today he, he, he became burnt out. But his, his world just started to darken. And pretty soon he was just blackened by depression, even though he was very successful. And at one point he was so depressed so, and so crushed inside, in spite of all his success, that he rather hastily wrote a letter to his board and he resigned. And then he wrote a letter to his wife and children. This was desperation. He wrote a letter to his wife and children saying he would never see them again. The depression was so black. He went north. He actually went up to Canada, where I used to live, went to Newfoundland. And he took a job as a logger in Newfoundland. And he lived alone as a logger in a small metal trailer. And it was the dead of winter. And his little small trailer was heated with a small little metal heater. That was it. And one night, when it was 20 below zero, his heater gave up the ghost <laughs> and stopped working. And that about put him over the edge. He became so enraged that he grabbed that heater and he threw it out the window. Smashed the window, threw it out. Only in the next moment to realize that that wasn't the smartest thing to do when it's 20 below outside. So he threw himself on the ground on the floor of that little metal trailer. And he started pounding the floor with his fist. And he starts yelling out to heaven. He starts yelling out to God. And pardon this, but, but this, is, this is how the story goes. He started saying, God, I hate you. I just hate you. Get out of my life. I'm done with being a Christian. The game is over. And then he laid on that floor and pulled up into a fetal condition at the end of everything. Sometimes we can get to that place. But he later wrote, I couldn't even cry. I was too exhausted to cry. But as I laid there, even though I couldn't cry and there was no one else in that trailer, as I laid there, I could hear crying. And I could hear heavy sighs. And I knew that I was hearing Christ crying and heaving away at the cross for me. And then I knew that blood was for me. 
for the Kevin who is the abandoner and the reckless warrior, wanderer, the Kevin who is the blasphemer of heaven. And then the words rose all around me, he said, in that little metal trailer, 20 below zero in the dead of winter, all alone. The words rose up around me, Kevin, I am with you, I am for you, and you will get through this, I promise you. That's Jesus, our friend, who met us at even the worst and spoke our language of love, even if him heaving and sighing and crying with us because he met us there at the cross. And the end of that story is that Kevin rose to his feet, he got into his car, made his journey all the way back home, reconciled with his family and his church, and this day is leading that church in a healthy way. Because he found a friend who could speak his language of love, even though he didn't love back. But this is the Jesus who wants to be our friend. I don't know if you call this a sermon this morning or just a picture I hope you see of the possibilities of having Jesus as your best friend. The Jesus who knows your language of love. Jesus who wants to walk in you through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and with you 24 hours a day. Who can be your peace, who can be your strength, who can slow you down inside just to be with him. And the Jesus who makes it safe to be totally honest with him. This is Jesus.